We welcome everybody into the house of the Lord this morning, both here at the Nine Mile Campus and those of you that have gathered at the corner of Summit Boulevard and Spanish Trail, as well as to all of you who are witnessing together with us the Word of God and experiencing worship in our online community, wherever you may be. Let's put our hands together and welcome everybody into the house of the Lord this morning. Can we do that? I'm in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, so take your Bibles and be finding the first gospel today. Uh, We continue this morning in a series that we're calling Don't Waste Your Life. Man, we don't want anybody to spin their wheels and uh, to tread water. We want you to be going somewhere intentionally on purpose, knowing who you are, who God is, where you've come from, why you're here, and where you're going when this life is over. And unfortunately, so many people are wasting their life. They don't know why they're here. They don't know if they matter at all. They don't really know if God is. They don't know uh, what they're here for, what the purpose of life is. And they may very well be successful people. You can be successful according to the way the world defines success and yet still be rudderless and still live a hopeless kind of life. It is possible to succeed at the wrong things, and we want you to be successful. God wants you to be successful, but successful as he defines it, according to the things that his word marks out as making a successful life. And so what we're doing in this series, kind of looking at some priorities that make for a successful and fulfilling life from the perspective of Almighty God, things that you can know so that you're not living your life out there in some nebulous fuzziness, but with purpose and intentionality, meaning and firm conviction about what life is really all about. Today I wanna talk to you for a few minutes about the key to a satisfying life. And I wanna do that by going to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and isolating out one of the eight Beatitudes that are there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. I love the Beatitudes. They're short little proverbial sayings, and they come right at the beginning as the introduction to the most important single body of teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ ever gives, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So important that it takes up three chapters there at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And these Beatitudes really are these little short sayings that have something to do with how to find true and lasting contentment, happiness, peace in your life. Every one of them are radically countercultural. In other words, when you read them from top to bottom, They really don't make a whole lot of sense, and they're not things that the world would ever identify as things that mark out a life that's blessed by God or a life that leads to contentment or happiness. In fact, they would look at them and say, well, if I were to live this way, I don't think it would bring happiness. I would think it would bring misery, but that's because they're looking at them through the lenses of the world and not from the perspective of God himself and not from the perspective of a biblical worldview and not from the perspective of life lived in an everlasting relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me just say from the very beginning about this and all of the Beatitudes for that matter, 
They're not there for you to try to maintain or keep or do in your own strength in order to unlock the secret to a life of contentment. If you try to do these in the flesh, you will fail miserably. Every one of these, in fact, everything that I say in this series for that matter, is built upon the foundation of a person having a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's transformational. Knowing God by knowing Jesus Christ changes everything about your life, including your perspective. And so these eight Beatitudes really become the perspective of someone whose heart has been transformed through a right relationship with God and through the life of someone who is walking closely in communion in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And when it comes to not wasting your life, living a truly satisfying life, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, one of the most important of all these Beatitudes. Let's just say it out loud together. It's in your notes or it's in your Bible in front of you. Together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they shall be. Let's say it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Now that's a statement about the true desire of a genuine disciple's heart. Jesus is saying here, those who try to fill their lives with the things of the world, and that's what the world's gonna teach you. You gotta have this in order to be happy. You gotta drive this in order to be satisfied. You gotta wear this in order to look right and to be accepted by other people. You gotta have all this stuff. That's what the world says. But Jesus says you can have all that stuff and still be starving to death. There'll be this empty hole inside of your heart. You can have everything the world says you have to have in order to be successful and to live a life of happiness. But all those things do is give a false sense of security for a short, brief period of time, and you'll end up disappointed in the long run if you're not filling your life with the right stuff. So if you want to live with true happiness, with true contentment, Jesus says, you have to hunger for the right things. If you hunger for the right things and seek the right things, then your happiness is all but guaranteed. When Judy and I lived in Missouri, we lived in church-owned housing. Most of you know that. And it was a nice little house. What I didn't know about it when I moved, there's always something about your house that you buy that you don't know until you move in it. Can I have an amen this morning? In my house up in Cantonment, it was the railroad tracks. I didn't know there was anything about a railroad track there. Nobody said anything about the railroad tracks. And my first morning there, 5.30 in the morning, I nearly got blown out of bed by a steaming locomotive. Nobody told me anything about that. I don't even hear that thing anymore, Right? Well, at our house in Missouri, it was the supermarket that was literally right behind the house. We lived on the same campus as the church, and there was that supermarket. And I laid down the first night at 4.35 in the morning. I was blown out of bed by all this racket. Diesel engines, one truck pulling in the back after another. Slats being thrown off of the back of the truck. Once they'd emptied them off, they'd take these big slats and throw them on the asphalt below. And I thought somebody was firing guns out there. And day after day after day, we were awakened to the point where I was not happy with the grocery store. And then it snowed eight inches. And right behind my house, I had everything I needed. 
I didn't have to get the car out the driveway. 168 paces from my front door to the front door of Glenn's supermarket. I mean, literally, it's the greatest thing in the world. I went up that first snowfall, found Glenn, who was a member of my church, in the grocery store in the back, and I gave him a big old bear hug. Thank you for being right here, Glenn. <laughs> I don't have to do anything but walk to the store in this monstrosity of a blizzard, get everything that I need. It was literally right there with me. Now, this morning, I want to show you how you can be satisfied and how the satisfying things that God provides for you spiritually for followers of Jesus are literally right there with you. And if you go without, it's not because of God. It's because you're seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. Let me give you three suggestions help unlock the secret to a satisfying life. First thing you have to do is identify your most pressing need. And most people, when we think about what, what are the most pressing needs of life, we, we start naming worldly things. Well, I need six months' salary in a savings account, and I need transportation, and I need a roof over my head, and I need clothes, and I need all these things. But the reality is, even though, here's the thing. None of us are exactly alike. We're all different. We would all identify different things that are important in life. But the one thing we all have in common is that we all get hungry and we all get thirsty. Isn't that right? I mean, don't say no. We've got a room full of Baptists here this morning. You're already thinking about lunch, and it's 9, 4, 10 o'clock in the morning. So we all get hungry, and we all get thirsty. That's something we all have. That's a common need in every one of our lives, even though we all have different worldly needs. Now, I've been hungry before, but I've never gone hungry before. And you all know there's a difference between the two. I'm kind of hungry right now because I didn't eat any breakfast this morning. But I'm not going hungry right now. In fact, I could stand to go without food for about three weeks and I'd be just fine. Um, in our culture, in America, very few people actually go hungry when you think about it. We, we define hunger as having a Big Mac attack at lunchtime. So, but we are hungry in America. The problem is we're just hungry for the wrong things. We have a spiritual hunger that most people fail to recognize. And it's a spiritual hunger, really, that's common to all of us. We use phrases. How many of you have heard somebody say, you know what, I'm just so busy, I'm coming and going, my life is just so empty. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. Something is missing from my life. I'm just in a dry season. How many of you have heard people say that? Maybe you've said that yourself. I've said before that one of the mantras of the 1960s coming out of those great theologians from Western Europe called the Rolling Stones was I can't get no satisfaction. Though I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, I can't get no satisfaction. I did that on purpose because I want to torment you the rest of the day. You'll be singing that song. You won't be able to go to sleep at night. You'll be humming that tonight. Yet that's so descriptive. It's actually true. It's descriptive of most people in the world today. They can't get any satisfaction. You know why? Because they're not looking for it in the right place. They're looking in all the wrong things and all the wrong places. Jesus says, indeed, blessed are those who are hungry. There can be a blessing <clears throat> that comes from a hunger in your life. But he's not talking about physical hunger. 
He's not talking about gut appetites. He's not talking about fleshly urges. He's talking about blessed are those who hunger after the right things. Blessed, happy, inwardly content, inwardly sufficient, which is what the concept of blessedness means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Now listen, let me just say, you can't treat this business of righteousness casually as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because the one thing Jesus says you have to have in order to be satisfied, the one thing Jesus says you have to have in order to be filled is righteousness. And I can already tell you that most people aren't looking for it. In fact, they're pretty sure they don't want it because they've stereotyped it. That's the church lady on Saturday Night Live. And I don't have anything to do with that. No, that's not what righteousness is. But let me tell you something. Apart from it, no relationship with God. Apart from it, no fulfilling your purpose in life. Apart from possessing the spiritual gift of righteousness and then pursuing growth in righteousness The Bible says you'll be malnourished and starved the rest of your life, and you will waste your life. You can no more live spiritually without righteousness than you can live physically without water or food or oxygen. The Bible teaches that God, if you fill in the blank, God is what? Say it out loud. God is See, I heard a bunch of things. And all of them are probably true. God is love. God is eternal. How about this? God is holy. Would you agree with that statement? Would you agree with this statement? Put your name there. Your name is holy. Not without him, you're not. And that's the human dilemma, isn't it? God is holy. I'm a sinner. And so because of that, that's the great conflict, the human dilemma in a nutshell. Because God can't fellowship with sin. God can only connect with holiness. And that's why the greatest need of your life is the gift of righteousness. Somebody better be doing something to get righteousness into your life or you don't have a chance of interacting with, fellowshipping with, communing with, spending eternity with a God who is by definition righteous, holy, And that's what God does for us through the gift of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He gives us the opportunity to receive the gift of righteousness because it's the greatest need that we have. The good news is God's taken steps in order to meet that need. You can't meet it. You can't create holiness. You can't create righteousness. You can't do enough good things in order to get God to accept you because sin won't allow you to do it. Your whole Being, body, soul, and spirit has been corrupted by the sin into which you were born. And yet the Bible says in Romans 3.22, the righteousness, watch this, from God. That's a key phrase. The righteousness from God comes through what? Faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? Believe. And so that's how you get it. You trust Jesus to save you. You don't have to do anything. You just surrender to Jesus Christ. And that's salvation, trusting Jesus and his work on the cross to deliver you from the bondage of sin unto a right relationship with God through what he did and dying on the cross and shedding his blood. And when you do, when you trust Jesus, there's something supernatural that just happens in a nanosecond. 
Christ moves in and with it he brings the gift of righteousness and that's what allows you now to stand in the presence of a holy God and be accepted rather than consumed. Everybody tracking with me, say amen. Now, that's how you receive it. The important thing is, see, righteousness is not just a gift that's received, it's also something in your life that's cultivated by growth, by walking with the Lord. Salvation really is receiving righteousness from God in order to live righteously for God. And you have to have the gift of righteousness in order to live righteously. And so that's why this business of righteousness is a not so incidental part of being hungry and thirsty in the presence of God because a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who possesses the gift of righteousness wants to see it grow in terms of how we live and how we think and how we respond to events in life and how we act and how we react to negative circumstances in life. Because a part of following Jesus means seeing sin as Jesus sees it. When you're growing in the Lord, you don't like sin. Now, before you knew the Lord, you used to love it. You'd leap into it and enjoy it. You can't do that as a follower of Jesus anymore, can you? No, what happens is now you have a new worldview, a new way of looking at life, a new perspective in life. No longer can you enjoy sin, you repudiate it. You can't stand it. You know it when you sin, and you're not happy with yourself when you do. And this, this growth in holiness is something that's supposed to mark a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to the point where you're free even from the desire of sin. So what Jesus is saying here is happy are those who are hungry for holiness. Are you? Are you eager to become like Christ as we say at Hillcrest where our mission is helping people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said one time, the hunger and thirst after righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if you're going to have a satisfying life, it kind of begins right here. Identifying the most pressing need in your life. And it is having the gift of holiness or righteousness and then seeing that cultivated as a part of becoming like Christ as a driving force of your life. So pursue holiness. That's kind of the second thing. If I were to phrase it differently, I would say that if you're going to have a satisfying life, you identify what the pressing need is, and then you go after it with all your heart. Pursue holiness. Go after it. People try to satisfy the spiritual hunger that's in them by consuming the wrong things. There's a difference between soul food and junk food. Can I have an amen this morning? And I know a lot of people that subsist and consist, their diet subsists and consists of junk food and not really spiritual soul food. So there's some people that need to change their diets. We need to transition away from junk food, and the Lord knows I need to do that because I'm a junk food junkie and have been one for a long time. But I know as well as it, I don't need a doctor to tell me that if I eat too many quarter pounders with cheese or if I eat too many Domino Supremes or too many of those wonderful little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. That's another story. 
It's like kill the box all in one setting with a jug of milk and it's heaven on earth, but it's not good for you. It's junk food. And this is where most people really do miss it. They go out and they seek to fill up their lives. They're looking for satisfaction, but they're, going, they're trying to fill their lives with people or with places <clears throat> or with things or with work or whatever the missing link is. And so they spend a lot of time and a lot of money on things under the sun, just about everything you can think of, thinking it's going to bring them happiness. And some of that stuff might make you feel really good, but only for a minute. You know, it's only for a brief moment in time. And the reason it doesn't satisfy for the long term is because it's junk food. It's not that it's not necessarily important and not that it doesn't taste good and not that it can't give you a warm fuzzy. It does. But it's never enough. It just doesn't satisfy I read once uh, about a plant that's grown in Australia and scientists determined a way to take the spores from that plant and actually make bread out of it. The only thing about it is there's really no nutritional value to it at all. It's like a laboratory exercise that has no real meaning. So you can bake bread out of the stuff that's grown out of this particular fern plant in Australia that's endemic or that's, uh, that's, um, that's found in Australia but it doesn't have any protein, it doesn't have any carbohydrates, it doesn't have any vitamins, nothing in there that's essential for growing a body or for maintaining life. And here's the thing, I mean, if you eat real bread, that's, you can live a long time eating nothing but bread, as long as it's got the proper ingredients in it. But if you eat that bread, bread that's made from the spores of that plant, you can eat slice after slice after slice of bread, and you will eventually waste away. You can eat all you want, and you'll start to lose weight, and you'll eventually become emaciated, and you'll eventually die if your diet just consists of that. Now, your belly's telling you, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, I'm satisfied, it's good. The only thing is your body, as it says that to your brain, is in absolute rebellion, and it's wasting away, and that's what junk food does for you. It fills you up, but it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't nourish. Just stuffing. Some time ago, Judy and I were in a Chinese restaurant, speaking of food. And I can eat Chinese food. And is it just me? Two hours later, you're hungry again. I don't know what it is about Chinese food. I love it. But we were opening up the fortune cookies. And she opened up a fortune cookie. And hers said this proverbial Statement, when the purse is emptied, the heart is full. Now, I took that as a statement philosophically that you don't have to have a lot of stuff in order to have a full heart. She took it to mean that I needed to take the green currency out of my purse and give it to her so that she could go spend it and fill up her heart. She said, I knew there was something to this. Now give me some money so that I can have a joyful heart. <laughs> empty the wallet. But an empty, listen, an empty purse, an empty wallet isn't going to bring lasting satisfaction to anybody. Most of us in here have walk-in closets that are the size of some people's homes around the world that are packed with clothes that we haven't worn in years. Because we had to have it in a moment, 
and then got tired of it in less than a year. Well, I'm just tired of it. Now, it's not that it won't keep you warm, and it's not even that it doesn't look good. Well, some of the stuff in my closet doesn't look good. It's really old. But it's just that it doesn't satisfy us anymore. It's junk food. In fact, in Luke's account of this teaching, Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. So at the same time, in Luke's version that Jesus pronounces a blessing, he pronounces a woe right along with it. Blessed are you that are hungry for the right things. Woe to you that are filled by the wrong things. Because you'll never be satisfied. The fact is, most people get it backwards. We're hungry and thirsty for pleasure. We're hungry and thirsty for stuff. We're hungry and thirsty for happiness. We're hungry and thirsty for money and for the things that money can buy. And I'm telling you, we live in a day where you can even go to church and hear that's okay. Popular preachers feed into this. The most popular preacher in America, the preacher that pastors the largest church, I will not call his name, though you know who he is. And he's all about finding your best life now. Well, the last time I read the Bible, my best life is yet to come, not now. And he writes, to find happiness, quit focusing on what's wrong with you and start focusing on what's right with you. You, you, you. It doesn't have anything. Happiness and contentment and peace and satisfaction has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what you find in the Lord. Jesus said, in fact, can I just say it this morning? Jesus said, you're not supposed to seek happiness at all. People chase happiness. Where do you get that in the Bible? The Bible says pursue holiness, not happiness. And let me just let you in on a little secret. You pursue holiness, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and happiness and peace and contentment will find you. Those things are byproducts of right priorities in life. Isaiah 55, 2, why do you spend money on what is not bread? In other words, what's not essential? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul, your soul, your soul will delight in the richest affair. So one thing we need to learn is to quit spending so much time chasing the proverbial pot of gold known as happiness. Quit pursuing happiness. Start pursuing holiness. And when you pursue holiness, happiness will follow after you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Everybody tracking with me, say amen this morning. It's good stuff, very important stuff. And again, when you pursue the holiness of God, the relationship that is yours by faith, go after growing that relationship with all your heart. You know why I say that? <clears throat> because the word that's translated hunger here in Matthew 5, 6, it probably is better translated starved. Blessed are those who are starving for righteousness, starving for the holiness of God, starving for their relationship with God. So the important thing to realize, there's nothing casual about the word. There's this implied desperation for God, this insatiable, incurable hunger for the things that God says are important. This is discipleship. This is cross-bearing. 
This is walking in the Spirit of God. This is abiding with Christ. Man, when you walk in the Spirit, when you abide with Christ, when you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after Jesus daily, as the Bible says, there's this desperation that's cultivated. You can never have enough of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you desperately want important to you the things that are important to him. The psalmist said, as the deer pants after streams of living water, panting, desperate for that refreshing stream, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts and longs for you. Oh God, that's the idea of hungering after righteousness. And that's why you have to thirdly, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus alone to satisfy the deepest hunger of your life. Let me turn to one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. Anybody else in here love C.S. Lewis? Amen. C.S. Lewis said that in the same way, this is in mere Christianity, in the same way that a car engine is designed to run on gasoline alone. Now, he wrote this when there wasn't any other way to power a car. So don't write many letters about ethanol or, you know, electric cars, all right? But in the same way that an engine is designed to run on petroleum fuel alone, C.S. Lewis says God designed the human machine to run on him alone and nothing else. Here's what he said. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing as happiness and peace apart from Christ, but look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. That's Matthew 6, Seek first all these things added unto you, things that are really important. So Jesus is clear. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be What? satisfied or filled. That's another important word. The word hunger references this insatiable starvation. The word satisfied is a word that means to be sated. It's It's a word that's applied to the fattening of cattle. I remember one time Judy and I were driving out to New Mexico and we were driving through on I-40, we were driving through Amarillo, Texas, cattle town. And when we got to Amarillo, it stunk to high heaven. I'd never smelled. How many of you have driven through Amarillo? You know what I'm talking about. Right there on the side of the interstates are all of these holding pens for cattle. And I couldn't figure it out. Well, I figured out what the smell was coming from. But I couldn't figure out what they were doing with all those cattle on the side of the road. Well, that all had to do with transportation. That was their last stop, if you know what I mean. I had a rancher in my church in and the Branson, when we ministered, and when I got back, I was telling him about it, and he, he raised cattle. And he said, well, Pastor, you know what they were doing? And I said, no, I really don't. He said, well, they were fattening them up for slaughter. They were feeding them all they want. They couldn't get enough. And that's what the word here means, not the slaughter part, <laughs> but the filling part. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall have all they need. They can have all of God that they desire. They can be satisfied. 
until they want nothing more. That's the way it is with Jesus. See, our job is to seek. His job is to satisfy. The problem is we get it all reversed, and we try to satisfy ourselves instead of seeking after the Lord. Man, if we just seek after the Lord, Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. Can I have an amen? When he gives grace, the Bible says he gives abounding grace. When he gives joy, he gives joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. When he gives peace, he gives a peace that passes understanding. I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. Our challenge is to quit seeking stuff in order to find satisfaction and to start seeking the Lord. And Jesus bids us. You know what the greatest word Jesus ever said was? Come. Come unto me. Jesus said, I myself and I alone am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. I'm told that a normal mesquite tree out in West Texas drink 55 gallons of water a day. Has to have constant water. And that's why so many of them don't make it. They die. Because the minute a mesquite tree stops drinking, it withers away. And it's no good. But Jesus says, the bread and the water that I give never runs out. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, when he had another conversation with her about living water, he says, everyone who drinks of this water, this water from this well, will get thirsty again. But I've got some water for you, and if you'll just take it, if you'll come, and if you'll take it, and if you'll drink it, you can drink and never be thirsty again, though the water that I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now, here's the bottom line. Bottom line is this. Everybody comes into this world with a bent toward God, with an insatiable spiritual hunger that comes as a longing in your life that only God can fill. And you need to remember that only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your life. People can't do it. Sex can't do it. Money can't do it. Property can't do it. Houses or lands or cars, even straight A's can't do it. None of that stuff can do it. That stuff is nothing but junk food when it comes to eternity. And that's because the things of this life are fleeting. They come and they go. They don't last. They can be here one minute and then gone the next. Several years ago in April when we had that awful flood that came through Pensacola, I was down in a neighborhood that was among the hardest hit in our city, and I was talking with a homeowner there in front of his house, it was totally destroyed by the water. And he was looking at me, telling me this unbelievable story about how they were literally climbing up on the trees and the bushes, the shrub bushes in front of their house in order to survive. He said, my first instinct inside the house was to take my family up into the attic until I realized the water was so rising so rapidly, I wasn't going to take my family up in the attic to die because I didn't know when it was going to stop. So I figured we were better off outside than we were inside. So we climbed out onto the roof and then got down onto the, uh, well, they climbed onto the shrubs and out a window onto the shrubs where they were trying to climb up on the roof. And here's what he told me that I've never forgotten. As the stuff, the water was rising, the stuff was getting waterlogged. 
He looked at me, had a pretty large family, and they were all out hanging to limbs. And he said, you know what, Pastor? He said, when we were out here, I didn't know anything to do but sing. And so I just started singing. I said, well, what did you sing? He said, well, you know the little chorus, Jesus, I just want to praise you. He said, that, for some reason, that was the first thing that came to mind. So I just started singing, and everybody just started chiming in because we all knew it, and we just started singing it over and over and over again. Jesus, we just want to praise you. Jesus, we just want to praise you. Jesus, we just want to praise you for being so good as the water was destroying their home and everything that they owned in it, which I just thought was the most miraculous thing because in that moment, the stuff that money could buy didn't matter at all to them. They were stripped of everything. But listen up. Stripped of everything, but they lost nothing. They'd lost nothing of lasting value. You know why? Because they were full of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is the key to a satisfying life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Come to Jesus and find lasting satisfaction. This is the Word of God. And let all who agree say, Amen.